Our reading this evening is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And just a note, I'm going to add verse 58 at the very end, the last verse of chapter 15. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we close out the book of 1 Corinthians, we have encountered what is perhaps one of the most troubling things going on in Corinth, and that is the people are, or at least some people, are denying the resurrection. Last week we heard Paul's response to this, his basic response. If there's no resurrection, then what are we doing? If there's no resurrection, then this message, this gospel is worthless. If there's no resurrection, then not even Jesus was raised from the dead. And we of all people are most to be pitied because our hope is in vain. So, Corinthians, he says, if you're going to be Christians, 
If you're going to be Christians, you have to be all in. You can't pick and choose, and that's good, because all in means all in Christ. By faith, we are closely bound to him. That's what the hymn said. No, I am too closely bound to Christ in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. But today we hear a little bit more of what the Corinthians were objecting. Some of them were getting kind of smart. And were saying things like, well, what kind of a body are you going to have? If there's a resurrection, are you going to be an old man or a young man or in between? What if you've got some sort of trouble, some health issues? What if one of your legs is shorter than another? What kind of a body are you going to have in the resurrection? And they thought by asking those questions that they were kind of foiling the suggestion. These questions come up and I'm always tempted. (laughs) When somebody asks what kind of a body you're going to have in the resurrection, I'm always tempted to answer with Paul, you foolish person. But of course, most of the time when we ask that question, it's out of curiosity. The Corinthians were asking because they thought by raising this question, they could disprove the resurrection. Kind of like when the Sadducees came to Jesus and said, look, Imagine there was a man who had a wife, and he died, and then his brother married her, and he died, and then seven brothers altogether married her, and then they said to Jesus, which one of them is her husband in the resurrection? They thought they had presented to Jesus an impossible situation that showed that there could be no resurrection. But Jesus says to them, you foolish people, by asking this question, you show that you do not know the scriptures or the power therein. He says, in The kingdom of God, there is neither marrying nor giving in marriage, but God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And if they were dead, then that would mean the God were the the God of dead people. But our God is the God of the living. You show that you don't understand by your question. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul is saying here. It's a silly question. It's a silly question because even nature shows us That what goes into the ground is not the same thing that comes out of the ground. You put into the ground a kernel of grain that looks nothing like the plant that then grows. Why would you be surprised that what comes out of the ground on the last day in the resurrection looks different from what we lay into the ground at your funeral? Experience gives us that answer. Jesus gives that answer when he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it falls into the ground and dies and is buried, it bears fruit a hundredfold. How much more? How much more when we are laid to rest? A kernel, a bare kernel, waiting for the resurrection. But we do know something of what we are waiting for. We may not know how we will look or what our bodies will be like in their physical characteristics, but we do know this. Paul says, what's laid into the ground is perishable. What's going to be raised is imperishable. What's laid into the ground is dishonorable. What's raised will be glorious. What's laid into the ground is weak, but it will be raised in power. What is laid into the ground is natural or fleshly. What's raised will be spiritual. Which isn't to say that you won't have a body, but that it will be a body as Jesus' body, a heavenly body. We are reminded of this at Ash Wednesday, which really is not far away now, four or five weeks from now. You'll come forward and we'll put ashes on your forehead and say, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Being dust wasn't such a bad deal for Adam because he received the breath of life from God, but corrupted with sin, the result for people from the dust is that they return to the dust. No glory, no honor, just perishability and shame. Being eaten by worms, that's what 
there is for sinners who are made of dust. But Jesus wants to give us something better. And so he raises us from the dust to a life like his, a life without sin, a life that is no longer subject to mortality, a life in which no longer does death have any power, nor the sting of death, which is sin, nor the fear of death, which governs our lives in this world. That is what we will be raised to. That is something to look forward to, and that's why the resurrection matters. One of the reasons why people would bother to deny the resurrection is because they actually don't mind living a perishable life, living a dishonorable life, living in weakness, living a fleshly existence. Why would you need the resurrection if you love this life? But Jesus says, whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he will gain it in eternity. Something better. This is the strange and perplexing thing about God's redemption for us. God didn't withhold anything from Adam. He made Adam a perfect being, but somehow, through the fall into sin and Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, from the cross, we gain something even better than what Adam had. Adam was a man of dust, but we will be like Jesus. Somehow, God is giving us something better in spite of our sin. Somehow, he is working sin to our advantage. That is a glorious thing. That is a glorious thing, and that is why we should set our minds and our hearts now against everything that is wrong with this world and this life, against perishability, against dishonor, against shame, against weakness, against fleshly things, because God has something better in store for us. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you are born of water and the word, that is, unless you become like a little child by faith, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, but one who is born of the Spirit. That is how we should set our minds and hearts in this life. Ezekiel was a prophet who was sent to preach to God's people, and at one point in his ministry, he was living in Babylon, far from home, and the Spirit of God came, and actually it says in Ezekiel that he was plucked up by his lock of hair, and he was carried to Jerusalem to observe all of the terrible things that were happening in Jerusalem. All kinds of perishable, corruptible, weak, dishonorable, fleshly things were happening in Jerusalem. And while he was up there, while Ezekiel was there observing the wicked things happening in Jerusalem, God sent some men, some messengers, to execute judgment against the city. But before he did that, before he did that, God told a scribe to go throughout the city and to put a mark on foreheads. The people that he was to mark, this scribe, the people he was to mark were those who lamented, who lamented and sighed over the wickedness that was going on in Jerusalem. They were to receive the mark. The people who were not happy with that life, the people who were not pleased with the state of things, people who regretted the fact that everything was perishable and dishonorable and weak and fleshly, those were the people who got the mark on their forehead because they sighed over the state of Jerusalem. And then when vengeance came, they were spared. They were spared the sword. They were not killed. They were a remnant for God. Ezekiel saw this vision, and it is so telling for us in our lives now that what we are called to is to lament and sigh over the state of the world and over the state of our mortal bodies, beset with sin, beset with perishability, beset with corruption, beset with old age and weakness, beset with fleshly things. Lament and sigh over that, and bear on your foreheads the mark of faith, 
trusting in God's promises. That he means to do something better with your bodies than what this world can offer, than what you can accomplish on your own. That he has in store for you a resurrection. That there is good news for those who will hear it. That there is hope for Jerusalem. That there is hope for God's people. That there's hope for you. So that although your eyes see corruption, although your eyes see your bodies wasting away, God has promised that when the trumpet sounds, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you will be changed. And everything you have waited for, everything you have hoped for in Christ, imperishability, respect and glory and honor in God, power in his strength, in his might, by faith, a spiritual heavenly being, a life that does not end, eternal life in his kingdom, all of that will be given to you. All of that that you have waited for and hoped for. Freedom from sin, freedom from death, life in Christ Jesus. All that remains for us is to believe his promises. It can seem distant and far off, but it is closer than you imagine. It is closer than the world wants to imagine. It is as close as these words are in your ears. Christ is your Savior. As surely as he died and rose for you, so also will you rise again on the last day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.